0: Today I want to talk about a topic of being correctable. Um, So this is one of these character topics. The older I get, the more things I see, the more I read the scripture. I'm kind of getting convinced that God doing things, God doing miracles, God changing situations, God acting in history is often not the hard part of life. The hard part is him doing things for people who have the character not to wreck what he's done. If that makes sense. Often the problem is that God does something amazing and then I screw it up. Does that make sense? That's my conviction. Maybe that's not your story. But usually the worst part of my life is me. How I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, how I'm behaving... And when I want God to move, I need to be ready for him to change me to be worthy to handle what he's doing and not blow it. So let's give an example of that. God is capable of giving someone superhuman strength so that you don't have to go to the movies to see the Hulk in action. His name was Samson. He did a lot of stuff, but it didn't turn out great. Was the problem God's power or was the problem the person's character? It was the person's character. It was all the... He had no problem when it came to fighting off men. He had lots of problems when it came to fighting off women. (laughs) And it wasn't the lady's fault. Uh, David, completely unstoppable. He didn't even need like some slow motion computer-generated action hero where they put all the dots on your face so that they can make you look awesome. He didn't even need that at all to take out hundreds of men on the battlefield. But when he went on vacation one day and was hanging out on the rooftop, he literally caused a civil war. God's blessing on David wasn't the problem. David's character when he was resting, that was the problem. God had no problem making Solomon the wisest man who ever lived, wiser than everybody else who ever lived. No problem at all. Solomon asked for it. I would like to be wise. God said, done. However, Solomon did have a bit of a problem again with having a thousand wives and keeping on picking wives that weren't worshippers of the Lord and they turned his heart away from the Lord. And he also brought about a civil war. The problem tends to be my character, not God's character. My faithfulness, not God's faithfulness. My power, not God's power. Which just brings me to the topic of being correctable. This is the process of going from how I am to the Lord, sometimes with Scripture and sometimes with circumstance and sometimes with people pointing out that something's missing or something's wrong. And being changed into the person God wants me to be in order to do what he's called me to do. Being correctable. Make sense? Are we all on the same page? Okay, good. So I'm going to pray. And uh, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that in Christ, even when we have a topic that has to do about change and the call to change and the need to change, We get to do this in the security of what you've accomplished on the cross. You've already, in Jesus, provided us a way to be forgiven of everything we've done and the grace to forgive everything we might do or will do. And in the moment, your goodwill towards us secured through Jesus. So that even if the conviction of the Spirit comes upon me or somebody else this morning we don't have to run away because we know you're here to do us good. And you love us and we're safe in Christ and we have power in the Holy Spirit and we do actually have brothers and sisters who want the best for us in this room. And even if the modus are mixed, we still want good for each other. And so God, would you do a great kingdom work so that our full potential could be brought out in this generation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at being correctable today by looking at a story of someone who chose not to be correctable. One of the least correctable people of all time. His name is Cain. Let's read this story. This is right at the beginning of Genesis. Cain and Abel are the first two children born recorded in human history. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Now, that knew means that they they had intercourse. It's how the Bible talks about it. There you go. It's meant to be relational. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain's name means like, I got it. And there's a bit of human pride in here. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And Abel's name means breath. It's, it's pronounced hevel, and it kind of means like he's not that significant. Cain is what I did. Abel is well, not that worth that much. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, when you read that, you're supposed to hear that Cain kind of brought like a bit of a half-hearted gift, while Abel brought the best of the best of the best. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Okay, So here's this moment where there's a distinction being made in two people who know the Lord, a distinction in their worship. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. So here we see the reaction. Was he correctable? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is, too, is greater than I can bear. So a great example of a victim mentality. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden." So I'm going to come back to this story a few times, but just to gather my thoughts, I want to talk about being correctable from three perspectives. The first one is having faith to be tested. A correctable person has faith to be tested by the Lord. Number two, I want to talk about having faith to be loved. A correctable person, a correctable son or daughter of God has faith to be loved in this way. And number three, a correctable person has faith to be changed. And I was changing my notes a bit this morning, so I'm a little bit worried that I missed one of my slides and it's going to totally not make sense and feel like it's from another message. (laughs) I'm doing my best, coach! He's a coach. So those are my three perspectives. So faith to be tested. In the story we just read, this moment of worship, when Cain and Abel were coming to bring their offerings, there was kind of a testing going on. A test is what happens when, you know, you find out what's really going on with something. Has anybody in the last two years uh, tickled their brain with a Q-tip or had a professional do that for you? Anybody Anybody put a four-meter Q-tip up your nose recently? It feels like once it hits the back of whatever passage that was, it feels like it's like, you know, it's, you're like chimney sweeping up there. And, and then it hits that thing where you just want to start doing the haymakers and you're just holding your leg. That's a, probably a, a crime, and, but you're holding down, holding the table. Right. Does anybody still have some of those tests? In their house right now, the nose swab, and you, we've all become those people at the hospital who walk around with those little carts and all the multicolored vials, and they come and they've got their rubber bands, and we've all got our first few days of that, because we've done millions and millions and millions and millions of tests over the last couple of years to find out what, to find out what's really going on inside of you. You got the rona? Or is it just a regular cold? Or is it hay fever? Or is it hypochondria and you just think you're sick because you're so worried you're sick that you're sick because you think you're sick and so now you need to get tested. What's going on inside of me? Let's test. We need tests when we can't easily see the reality of what's going on. That's why teachers give tests. How much of this history lesson have you actually learned? Then they make you take a test. When was the War of 1812? You know, at what location was the Battle of Waterloo? They give you a test to find out what you know. And this is part of the Christian life. We get tested by the Lord. God tested Abraham. You remember that story? After decades of Abraham and Sarah being infertile and not being able to have children, they finally, by absolute miracle, have a son born to Sarah well after menopause, long after it's totally impossible. They have Isaac, their miracle child. And one day God says to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham wakes up in the morning with a willing heart and starts to go through the test and is up to the point of being willing to sacrifice this miracle child because his faith is so high, he still believes that God will maintain his promise, that his lineage would go through Isaac, even to the point of if I have to sacrifice him, God must raise him from the dead because God's promise that this guy is my heir. And right before it happens, God stops him and he says, Now I know that you're a worshiper of me. Sometimes people test each other. Do you remember the story of Joseph later on in Genesis? Joseph, who uh, is favored by God, he has these dreams from the Lord that he's going to end up being the king of his brothers with the stars and with the sheaves. And he starts telling his brothers, and his brothers aren't so happy about that, right? The one thing you can't handle is a sibling being more successful than you are. Am I right? Am I right? Don't admit it. Don't nod. All of a sudden, I'm not sure who's all got siblings here. But the one thing we can handle, Jeff Bezos being a billionaire, but you know who can't handle it? His brother. If he's got a brother. So, all these jealous brothers hate Joseph and the favoritism he receives and the blessings from God. So, they hand him over to slavery with the hope that he's going to get killed. But Joseph ends up being the prince of Egypt. And his brothers come looking for food during the famine. And Joseph doesn't just go, surprise, it's me right off the bat. Because the last time he met these guys, they were all gang murderers. And so, he tests them to find out if they've changed. Or to find out if they can change. And he throws one of their brothers in prison and says, you guys go home and you can't come back unless you bring Benjamin. Are you the same brother-murdering guys I used to know? He tested them. And eventually they kind of passed the test when Judah was willing to be imprisoned to let all of his other brothers go free. That's when Joseph breaks down. He says, you've changed. And that's when he reveals himself. God even tests whole nations. In Deuteronomy two, God gives his perspective on why he gave manna to Israel. For 40 years, they ate cornflakes from the sky. That's not all they ate. The one time they asked for meat and the quail came and it was diseased and they got really sick and it wasn't an entire blessing because they were just grumbling when they did it. But when he... Uh, reveals to them why he did it. He, he explains the purpose. He says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And Sometimes they didn't. A little bit later he says, God fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So this is a perspective we kind of need about life if we're going to be the kind of correctable people God wants so that we can really handle what he wants to do. We need to know that God is going to be testing us so that we can find out what's really going on inside of us. hard situations, things that won't change, corrections from friends, work troubles, kid troubles, marriage troubles, parent troubles, church troubles. So many of these things are the Lord's Q-tip going up our nose, which are going to go into his biblical testing fluid, which will get squirted out onto the little litmus tests of our lives to let us know what's really going on in our hearts. True fact? I still need that T-shirt, Vince. True fact. Anybody like me where you tend to not see life like this? Where you see life as a series of problem situations and a problem people that if they would just change, everything would be okay? I think we should, I want to, you can do what you want. I want to grow in having faith to be tested by the Lord because he does it in love. Now let's go back to the story of Cain and Abel. It's really quite amazing. So God knows there's something not altogether right in Cain's heart. Cain has a relationship with God. Cain talks to God. Cain hears God's voice clearly, like any 21st century charismatic would kill to be able to hear like literal conversations with sentences and everything. Some biblical scholars might call this like a theophany or something like that, but Cain is talking to God and gets immediate feedback from how he's doing with God. Anybody here ever wonder, Lord, how are we doing? God me too Like, is everything okay Cain got immediate feedback from the Lord that something was not right and when Cain reacted bad to it, getting angry God started talking to him about it right away with a fatherly correction Cain Why are you acting like I'm the problem? Don't you realize that if you actually were worshipping me with your heart, I would have responded like you were actually worshipping me with your heart? If you repent and listen to my correction, don't you know that things will start going amazingly with you? But if you persevere in having this hard heart, don't you know that demonic sin is waiting at the door to take control of you? and make things a million times worse than you think they are right now? This is actually a wonderful, fatherly, relational, close, caring correction. Did Cain hear it like it was? Did Cain act like he was getting loved? Nope. Nope. And one of the things as I've been working on this message that really puts the fear of God in my life is I'm starting to believe more and more that when these moments of correction comes, someone's going to have to pay a price. And this is what I mean. If God comes to correct me, either I'm going to have to pay the price of the discomfort of admitting I did something wrong, And the the lowering of self-esteem to realize I wasn't as awesome as I wanted to feel about myself, to pay the price of going to a person to apologize, I'm going to have to pay that price or somebody else is going to. But if nothing changes with me, someone else is going to hurt because of it. Do you know what I mean? When God came to correct Cain, Either Cain could have apologized and humbled himself or Abel had to die. Because every minute that Abel was alive was a testimony that Cain had done something wrong. And Cain couldn't go there mentally to believe that God would rebuke him in love. And so in order for his world to make sense, Abel had to be the problem and Abel had to go so that old Cain could stay. that makes sense? Yikes. Lord, give me a soft heart. But I think being correctable for me means starting off to like have faith, to be like, God is going to test me. He might test me today. I think always he's watching. He's always got his eyes on us. Every morning you wake up and God counts all the hairs on your head again. And he... The hairs on your back or whatever, wherever the hairs are growing, the hairs on my ears, these are the hairs I least like, the hairs that grow on the top of the ear. They're very coarse. I feel like a wild boar whenever I touch them. I'm just like, man, you can make paintbrushes out of these things, whatever. God counts them. He says, they're still there. Just chill, Rob. It's only going to get worse. Wait, Wait to see what happens with your nose. You know what I mean? And so he counts all the hairs on my head. Plans out my day. Well, he doesn't just do it. He reconfirms the day he planned out before I was born, but he makes sure it's all arranged. And part of every day is going to be moments where God and me get to see what's really going on inside of me for my good. That takes faith to live like that, doesn't it? I want to have that faith. And I want to have faith to believe that when those moments happen, it's God's fatherly love coming. And this is what God pleads with his people to believe. Hebrews 12, 3-7. Uh, the Holy Spirit is writing through an author. Some people think we don't totally know who it is. This church is going through a real persecution. And they're getting an exhortation to trust Jesus above all and follow him in the Calvary road that includes suffering. And they're, they're encouraged and called, and it says, "Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." So Jesus had the test of being treated with hostility from sinners, and he succeeded in that test because his heart was full of trust in his Father, and we we're meant to try to imitate him and not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, so there, there's the biblical standard when it comes, when the test reveals you're sitting, you start going, oh, this is too hard. It's like, so you put your hand in the wood chipper? That's, you know. So your back's covered in the beatings of, of fighting against sin? This is the biblical standard. Rob's got all kinds of excuses. It was too hard, and I was tired, and it was late, and we were out of crunchy peanut butter, so I couldn't do my nighttime routine, and blah, 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 blah. Verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he corrects with pain, that's what chastising means, corrects with pain, Every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to adjure. God is treating you as sons. There's something about my heart that does not want to be fathered like that. That we'd all want like an Elon Musk for a dad who is away at work every day of the week. But when he croaks, you'll get a hundred mil. And the father's like, no. In this life, most of you will just be like, you'll get get by and all my love. How's that sound? In this life, most of you will not be stinking rich but you will have my affection every single minute of the day and I will be with you to do you good and to correct you, to make you feel happy and sometimes make you feel sad to try to bring out the best of Jesus in your heart. How's that sound? And it takes faith to trust God because if you're like me, it's when things are really hurting that you wonder the most. Do you really love me? And what God is trying to show through the life of Christ and trying to show through his scripture and trying to show with how he's dealt with his saints for years and years and years is that it's when things are the worst that Father's tender love is with you the most. Because he's trying to do amazing things in you and through you, but the price of perfection is a lot of pain. Amen? So I was sitting with a coach friend of mine. He was telling me a bit about his coach life, and how sometimes he needs to convince his athletes that when he's really focusing on them, it's not a bad thing. Like getting ridden by coach means that he sees there's lots of potential that you're close to having brought out of you. And one of the worst things that can happen is to get ignored. You don't want to get given up on by the Lord. Except sometimes I do. Because the wide path that leads to destruction can feel so appealing instead of the narrow path of transformation and change. And trading the definition of the word freedom from mean I get to do everything I want to redefining it to agree with God where freedom means I get to be who God is making me. That's God's freedom. And it's just not an easy road to get there. And He loves us, and He loves us, and we're His children. Did I ever tell you about my mouth washed out at school story? I'm sure I told this one. I've been doing this forever. I'm well into the can't remember what I preached phase of life. So, so I had one of these interesting childhoods going to school when I was really young, living in Whistler, because my mom was a teacher at the school that I went to, and there's only one school. And so whenever I did something wrong, I got my teacher, and if I did something really wrong, I got my principal, and then my mom showed up. And that was the worst part. So well, there was one day where I had this friend, I won't name names, but I want to name names because he, you know, he, he threw me under the bus. He taught me this song that had all kinds of swear words that I didn't know were swear words in it. And we were like walking around the playground singing this song and I had no idea what I was saying. But the monitor knew exactly what I was saying. So she sent me to go have a heart-to-heart with the principal. And I, it was like embarrassing and I was really sad and felt really uh, just, you know... Uh, the rebukes go deep on this guy and so I was feeling pretty just like ashamed and hurt but I survived the principal because all he did was like rebuke me and then my mom showed up and the school had these bars of soap in them and I think it was one of those curved ones, you guys remember like the curved ones that were really solid and so we went to like the the teacher's lounge bathroom which is the bathroom I wasn't allowed to use and in went the bar of soap and you had to hold it in your mouth which, which was this was typical who got their mouth washed out with soap? anybody? they stopped doing this after a while and and that's when all the, the language went so bad in Hollywood <laughs> you know what I mean? cause and effect ladies and gentlemen cause and effect So anyhow, what I learned was that bar of soap, one of the worst parts of getting your mouth washed out with that kind of soap was that because you had to hold it in your teeth, the soap gets stuck in your molars. And I was working the soap out of my teeth for the rest of the day. My mom really does love me. And it wasn't good for me or her to have a kid dropping every bomb of the alphabet around the playground. We're kids. We need to get parented. He loves us. And then after school, my mom took me home and fed me dinner and gave me a kiss and tucked me into bed and, you know, oh. We went back on with life. And this is life with the Lord. Correctable means dealing with the issue and moving on. you got to have faith that you're being loved during it. And a big part of this is having faith that we can be changed. How many of us have ever fallen into despair feeling like, I can never change? Yeah. You get frustrated. Often that you start feeling that way right before you really start changing. But there can be such a frustration in being discipled by the Lord because you mentally can't imagine that he wants to bring out from you what he's working on. And so we run in despair. But this is one of the things about being a Christian slash being a disciple of Jesus slash being born again slash being filled with the Holy Spirit is that the thing that separates being a Christian from every other religion in the world is that every single change that God wants to work in us, He wants to do for Himself, through Himself by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We're never alone when it comes to change. So we had the Old Testament, which really fell apart, and God repeatedly said to his people, the problem is not me. The problem is that you have these hard hearts that don't respond when I talk to you. Sometimes he calls it being stiff-necked, and sometimes he calls it being hard-hearted. In Ezekiel here, he talks about having a heart of stone, but you can understand, you ever felt like that moment where it's like, I just, I'm angry, or I'm frustrated, or I don't care, or this is too much, or you're too stupid, and I don't want to deal with this, and there's just a hardness about you, and there's no way you're going to respond to what's happening here other than lashing out or attacking or destroying. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt the heart of stone? You ever felt the stiff neck? One of the reasons Jesus came and one of the hugest reasons he sent the Holy Spirit was to heal and transform and liberate us from being unable to respond to God, to God with faith. And so Ezekiel says this, uh, this is during the exile. It's the lowest point in the history of Israel. They've been so bad to God for so long that he has given them the super time out and sent them off to Babylon um, out of the promised land as a sign to them of how bad they're doing. They just, he's been telling them a long time it's going really bad. They won't believe it. And so the exile happens as a testimony that things are really bad. But while they're in exile, he wants to revive their faith in him and he starts sharing his plans for his people. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols I'll cleanse you. Does anybody just want to be clean? I love to feel clean, especially on the inside. Oh, the despair that comes when you feel gross or you feel feel shameful or you feel like an ugly person on the inside and you feel unworthy and God wants to deliver us from the bondage of feeling like that by cleansing us through the blood of Jesus and he says I will give you a new heart And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain, we might need this in the years to come, and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. But this passage just has to do with what God does in our hearts when we get born again in Jesus. He takes out that stubborn, rebellious, you-can't-correct-me part of our hearts that is just so committed to being right all the time and resist the Lord. And he says, I'm going to take out that stone and I'm going to put into you a heart of flesh that feels God right. Right. And when God talks, he's going to help you respond right. And so we should have faith that we can change. Because if you're a Christian, he's given you a new heart that can respond to God. This is what it means to be born again. You ever heard that phrase, born again? Sorry, put this down before the flapping happens. Being born again means God has changed you. You used to be dead, and now you're alive. You used to have a heart of stone, but now you have a heart of flesh. You used to not be able to believe, now you believe. And God does the work inside of us. In Hebrew, it's really clear. There's a specific way of saying things so that you hear who does the work. And in verse 27, when it says, I will cause you to walk in my ways, God is saying, I'm going to do the work to change you. Because you can't do it. And so he puts the Holy Spirit inside of us, which makes us brand new from the inside out. And this morning, I just want to wave my arms that we should put our hope in the fact that we're born again in a new way. We can change. We can change. We're not a slave to our sins. Our sins don't belong. The sin is cancer. It's got to go. It's not our body anymore. We're alive in God. We're alive in Jesus. And everything's possible. For those who believe, believe that God tests us so we can see our own heart, believe that God loves us so even in the hardest time he's wanting to do good and to believe that through the Spirit's power we can respond in a way that pleases the Father in every situation. We can be correctable. So here's some thoughts. You guys have been wonderful. Things to remember when if feels like, seems like God is approaching you to talk to you about something, whether it's through reading the scripture and you get convicted about something, maybe it's through a circumstance that's revealing your heart and you're like, why am I reacting this way? Maybe it's through a brother or sister coming to talk to you about something in love. The first thing to remember I would say is that you're justified by God. We're we're righteous in God's sight. We're loved. We're saved no matter what comes up correction-wise, we're, we're, it's not our salvation or our self-worth on the plate. We're already loved by God. We're already cleansed by the blood. We're already declared righteous. We know how the story's going to end. We're going to go to heaven. In the meantime, let's not treat people like hell. We're justified. I have a brother who uh, recently kind of made the news um, because of former congregant decided to go to the news to tell the news how bad this brother was and sent one of those like angry emails which included the line you're the most disgusting human being I've ever met in it and I was just watching him respond in face in a way that I don't even know if I could do cuz he's just like well you're you're right I, I am a disgusting human being but I'm loved by Jesus and I'm forgiven for my sins and in God's work you miss me like, and I am just like, ah, look at this guy act like a Christian you're the worst person I've ever met there's a good chance that's true just facts, just true fact I might be the worst pastor you ever have I hope that's true actually I hope, I hope if there's a next one he's better wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be, what, what would you want, the other thing? I hope I'm the best pastor you ever have. And then you're all cursed for the rest of your life to have sucky guys because I died during the message. But what I just watched was a brother not letting a hard situation rob him of the reality of Christ's justification. You know what? I'm worse than I know. Other, other pastors I've seen, you know, somebody gets on, the, gets on the, whatever you want to call it, clicky-clack, I guess. You know, there's going to be time when nobody knows what this means. Like, you're giving someone a head massage because we don't use keyboards anymore. It's all going to be like did some, some action until they find out that we've all destroyed our thumbs by touching touchscreens, and they make it illegal to have touchscreens because they want to make everything illegal these days. What was I talking about? Right. Somebody says no, you're terrible, and the correct response is you don't know the half of it. God actually hides most of my sin from you guys. You don't know how the half of how bad I am. We really do believe that the only thing that stands between us and the lake of fire is God choosing to love us because He chose to love us in Jesus. And Jesus going to the cross to suffer in our place opens up paradise and heaven and unlimited joy that we will never deserve. Ten million billion years into eternity we'll be out there exploring the farthest ends of the galaxy and building homes and the moons and everything and we won't have earned one single sand grain on the distant moon of Titan. It's just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And grace is designed to help us not be proud, and not be arrogant, and be able to humble ourselves in every situation because God has done it, and he still loves us. Number two, let's believe we can change, and don't fear change. Change is always a bit costly. It's uncomfortable. It's humbling. But let's not be afraid of it. Number three, don't be dead. So this is my clever acronym: time dead. And whenever you make an acronym, it should line up with whether it's good or bad. Dead sounds bad. So defensive, excuse making, attacking, or denying. Right? When when you get corrected, you can be defensive. Ugh, you can't talk to me. You can be excuse making. Oh, nothing bad happened. In fact, everything's wonderful. Uh, you can uh, counter attack. Um, This is a bad one for me, doing a counterattack. You can't tell me I left the toilet seat up because you don't clean the toilets like I don't either. You know, you counterattack. You know, somebody says something and you... you. Anybody ever done that? Uh, Denying nothing bad happened. Watch out for being dead when the Lord wants to correct you about something. Number four, fear the Lord, not man. Somebody asked me about, like, talking about uh, spiritual abuse or controlling people. And I think the way forward, whenever there's a correction, is to go to God with it. Because, yes, sometimes people will want to correct for their own selfish reasons. True? Sometimes even, like, spiritual leaders will just, they want to control what color color underwear you wear or something totally unbiblical. When a correction comes, we go to the Lord. We don't want to attack man. We don't want to please man. We want to hear from God through his word on our conscience. Wherever there's truth, we can own the truth. Sometimes you can get corrected by a jerk. Like even wrong people might be right. You know, the clock's right twice a day. Even a broken clock... Even terrible people might be able to see something wrong in your heart. And and if they're right, in God's sight, they're right. And then you go to Jesus and say, You know what? I really wish that person would get run over by a backhoe. But in the meantime, they pointed out that I mispronounced the word scuzzle button. And so I repent. I'm kind of joking. And number five, this book, my last thought, is let's remember that the humble are blessed. God says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And sometimes, I think, even if we don't get things 100% right, we can still be 100% blessed. Sometimes, especially as Westerners, we can be obsessed with getting everything technically right. We don't need to get everything technically right. We need to be technically blessed by God who can fill in the gaps and move things forward. And so when it comes time to readjust or make a correction or respond to correction, let's remember that ultimately what we're wanting is to be blessed by the Father who loves us and ask Him to show us the way through with that in mind. Amen? So I'm going to invite the band to come up. Just in case anybody's worrying. This next week is not going to be a week of me chasing people down for corrections. It's not like I'm prepping anything here. Jesus told a story once about a father going to talk to two sons. He wanted them each to, let's say, mow the grass. One son said, yeah, Dad, I'll mow the grass, but never got around to doing it. Another son said, there's no way I'm mowing that grass, but a little bit later he changed his mind and went and did it. And Jesus asked the question, which son did the will of his father? And I think a good way of worshiping as we sing is just to come before the Lord and say, Lord, did I miss anything that you had wanted to talk to me about? Is there anything you brought into my life or someone talked to me and I didn't respond the way that would have pleased you most? And help me now to correct it. I want to walk in your pleasure. I want to walk close to Jesus. Not so that I'm earning anything, but so that there's no hardness in my heart that's going to keep me from experiencing all that you have for me. think that would please the lord to ask the question so father would you bless us as we humble ourselves and want to be corrected and led by our loving father and all god's people said amen